0: have to be parent to hear these words from somebody around you. That's not fair. Have you ever been there? Something good happens to you or to somebody else and the person who is on the bad end of the receiving of things or the person who thinks they should have gotten something good cries out, that's not fair. And they whine and they grumble and they complain And sometimes we try to pacify and make it right by making all things equal. And we try to fix the unfairness. And other times, if you're a parent, you look at your kid and say, get over it, life's not fair. But I think oftentimes, when we think about God, we expect God to be fair. We think that if He's good and if He's great, He will always give fairly to all people. In this season of Advent, we look forward to our coming king. And this king that we're looking forward to, I have some really unfortunate news for you. He is not fair. If you're expecting a king who will give fairly, you will be greatly disappointed. In this season of Advent, we're looking at parables that Jesus taught to tell us what this King and His kingdom will be like. And today we get into one that has a lot of different interpretations, a lot of different understanding, and I think what you will see is our God is anything but fair. And rather than be disappointed by that, we can find a lot of peace in that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So if you'd like to follow along in the blue Bibles in front of you or on the walls upstairs along the edges, it's on page 1029, Matthew chapter 20. If you brought your own Bible, I have no idea what page it's on. And if you're using your phone, you can just scroll to Matthew, okay? Matthew chapter 20. Here's the story Jesus tells. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now we'll just pause before we read the whole story. Remember, anytime you read in the Gospels the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, here's what is being described. The reign and rule of God in this world. The way in which he operates, the things he does are like this. It's like a master who goes out and hires laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now, we'll just pause for a moment before we get to what happens next. Perhaps you're not familiar with the way in which time was kept in the Bible when it says that he went out at about the the first hour, the third hour, these different hours, usually the workday started at about 6 a.m. Anybody start your workday at 6 a.m.? Maybe you're getting your cup of coffee going, I don't like starting my morning this early. They would start at about 6 a.m., and usually they would work the whole day about 12 hours. So when it says at the third hour, that's about 9 a.m., the time I would like to roll into work, and, and maybe noon for the sixth hour, that's not so bad. But the 11th hour, 5 p.m., as the day is ending and the sun is getting ready to set, Jesus says, look, I want to tell you a story about a master who goes out and all day long he's finding people and he's inviting them, come and work for me and I'll pay you what's right. And if you read this story and you follow along, perhaps you notice that he only promises one pay to one group. To the group early in the morning, those who were the go-getters who were ready to go at the start of the day, who were in the marketplace and ready for 6 a.m., there in that place of day labor, he promises them a denarii, which was about one day's work. So a fair wage that they would earn if they worked a full, hard day. And then comes the end of the day, Verse 8, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denari. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denari. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. I love this story of Jesus, because right off the bat, these parables Jesus teaches often would be highly offensive to the people hearing them. And this one, unlike some of the others, makes sense why it would be so offensive. Here's a group of people who've worked a full 12 hours in the heat of the day in backbreaking labor. And they're getting paid exactly the same as those who worked for an hour. We don't have to think too long and hard to think just how offensive that really is. We know that that's not fair. Shouldn't they be compensated for their extra work? Shouldn't they be compensated for all the extra energy they put in? Shouldn't they be made a a fair wage according to their sweat and their tears and probably some blood? In fact, what's even more offensive, not only did the owner, the master, have the audacity to pay them all the same, he paid those who went last first. See, this is really terrible because he could have paid those who came first and they would have been completely satisfied. They would have walked away with receiving what they expected to receive. But instead, he makes them who were there the whole time wait a little while longer while he begins to pay everybody else, one by one, the same wage. This inequality clearly on display for all to see. So what did these laborers do? Well, obviously they went on strike. They picketed and they fought and they unionized and eventually they fixed the inequality, right? No, not in this story. What did they do? They grumbled and they complained. Well, this isn't fair. And then the master responds. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denari? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The master responds to their grumbling and their complaining, that's not fair. He says, how did I wrong you? I did everything I told you I would do and everything you were okay with. Everything you agreed to. Now some have read this parable and they turn this parable to be all about us. And they say, look, this is God's way of saying... That doesn't matter if you're a baby when you become a Christian or if you're almost dead. It doesn't matter when you become a Christian. We all get the same reward, and that is we all go to heaven. But I think that's a misunderstanding of this parable. Because elsewhere we read in Scripture that we don't all get the same reward. In fact, there are truly rewards in heaven according to our good works. And I have no idea what those rewards are, but there's clearly in Scripture a difference in the reward to come. So this isn't about whether you come to faith as a baby or as an adult. Some would say perhaps this is about the The Jewish people, because throughout the Old Testament, God often describes His people as a precious vineyard. And on this vine, He will bear fruit. And often describes them as this precious place in which He will tend and care and make something wonderful out of them. Perhaps this is a parable of Jesus describing those who for millennia, for generation after generation, and persecution after persecution have endured and fought the good fight, have said we will hold true to the Word of God and we will seek with everything in us to live in such a way that we honor it. Perhaps this story is about those who came then with those who are coming in the final hour. The Gentile that Jesus is preparing to welcome in. The non-Jew, the foreigner, the one outside the promise of God that Jesus is still actively inviting, come and receive, receive the same reward I've prepared for them. Perhaps this is a parable about you and me as those who are still coming in the final hour because we don't know when this King of ours will return. He may return today and you and I would be the ones in the 11th hour, that final moment who are given this good reward. He may not return for another couple millennia, in which case you and I are like those who at the sixth hour are invited in and still given the same reward. It's quite possible that this parable is about the Jew and the Gentile being joined together and made one. In fact, I would say that's more probable than this being about the Christian and where in our life we become Christian. But I think when Jesus taught these parables, more often than not, He's not talking about you and me. Everything He says is about Himself and what He's doing for us. See, the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, is like this vineyard. And this Master who gives to everyone out of his own generosity. It's tempting in our faith to look at others and say they don't deserve it. It's natural when we are wronged to look at others and say, God, come against them for all that they deserve in their your wrath. Come and show them how terrible they are. But I think this parable is about a God A king who is incredibly generous. Who gives what he has promised even to those who don't deserve. Who gives freely to those who pour out their life working hard for him and to those who've barely begun. It's about a king who gives out of lavish abundance and not out of scarcity. And Jesus, he ends with this final teaching in this parable but many who are first will be last and the last will be first i love this parable and the generosity of god represented here because it's completely counter what makes sense to me see i think fairness is giving people what they deserve but if God was fair, we would all be in great trouble. If God gave what was deserved, there wouldn't be much hope because in my brokenness and my sinfulness, the times that I have wronged others and I have hurt others and the times others have done the same to me, all that I would deserve this is a really hot mess. If God was fair, you and I would be really, really in trouble. But He is not fair. He's incredibly generous. He gives freely what we do not deserve. The Bible describes this as grace. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The more that you and I are sinful, the more God's grace makes sense. Now, Paul, in the very next chapter, he goes on in Romans to say, should we then go on sinning so that grace abounds all the more? By no means. This promise in Romans is not a promise that you and I can do whatever and it will all be okay. But it is a promise that whatever we have done will be okay. That God's grace is big enough for sinners like me and sinners like you. That God's goodness and His generous gifts of life are abundant for you and for me. That God is not keeping track of how hard we've worked or what we've done. But no matter where we begin or where we end, He is freely giving us more than our share and everything He promised. Jesus ends this parable saying, the first shall be last the last shall be first. My kids sometimes really love to throw this at me when we play board games and I lose or they lose. They're like, well, at least the last will be first, Dad, and then they laugh and move on. But I think Jesus is inviting us into something so much more than that. Look, those who are the last shall be first. Those who are the least of these shall be the greatest in His kingdom, those who not by their own works or their own doing, but by their total depravity and brokenness, they shall be the ones who come first. When we look forward to this King who's coming, I think a challenge for you and me is oftentimes we don't want Him to come in all of His generosity. We want Him to come in partial generosity. Come and give to me all this good stuff, but not my enemy. Not the one who has wronged me or the one who continues to hurt me. Not the people that I think are evil and bad. No, give to me, but not to them. And if you give to them, give to them just a little bit less. In this parable, Jesus touches on a reality that lives within each one of us. Our natural desire is to believe we are more than we really are, to think pridefully of ourselves and say, I can do this, I am not that bad. And yet, he invites us to see a king who truly is that good, that when we humble ourselves to lay down what little bit we have and recognize, I am not. He steps in to say, but I am, and I will be forevermore. And we're invited in this promise when life is really unfair to cling desperately to a God who does not count our trespasses against us who does not hold the record of wrong any longer, but who has made us new in Him. We're invited to join in His footsteps, for He stepped down from His throne over all of creation and became the least of these, a baby in a manger where there was no room in the inn. A child humbled unto death That you and I could live. And when we look for this king who's coming, you and I are invited to see that in this life, nothing else matters. He will always provide and always be enough, and He will always give more than we could ever ask. So we're invited here not to be like the workers who say, that's not fair. But to celebrate and to be filled with hope for when this world turns against us, he will not. For when this world seems wrong, he will make it right and give graciously more than we could ever imagine. So this Advent season, I want to ask this of you. It's tempting in our pride to put ourselves above others. To look and say, well, I deserve this, or I earned this, or I just honestly really want it. As we look at a king who's incredibly generous, we get to begin to be like him. To begin to give of ourselves to others. Just as the first became last for you and me. We, as the least of these, are invited to build others up and to put them first. And we will always find a greater joy in that. So this Advent season, who do you need to put first? Who do you need to bless that has cursed you? Where you see unfairness that instead of whining and complaining, you can pour in freely to give and to care and to love. For in that, we become a little bit more like Christ. So this Advent season, I think there's an invitation to you and me. I don't know about you, but this season's almost always filled with a lot of Christmas parties for me. Like parties for school and parties for work and parties here, and anybody else have a schedule that's full of going to celebrate, and you're not always in the mood to celebrate? Here's what I want to invite you to do this advent season. If you want to find peace that truly surpasses all understanding, you can find this generous king who cares abundantly for you. What if instead of all of the joyful and happy? but often phony celebration. What if this Advent, you allowed yourself to truly become the least of these? Not only in how you serve others, but in your own honesty and vulnerability. You see, I believe that part of why this unfair world seems so unfair and miserable is in part because we are not honest with ourselves about what we really deserve. And we're certainly not honest with others. What if they knew who I truly am, my weakness and my struggle and all of my brokenness? Clearly then I could not be loved or welcomed or invited into this community. I think Jesus as a generous King, a God who gives freely, invites you and me to stop faking it. To be honest with ourselves and with others, and say, I am not who I want to be. And to invite others to help us become that person more and more. So, what if this Advent season, not only did you pour yourself out to serve those who otherwise you would think are less than you, what if you poured yourself out to serve yourself, to recognize? all of your brokenness and your hurt and your sinfulness and to confess it to someone else. Maybe the one you've hurt. Maybe a small group of people you can trust who will pray with you and forgive you. Maybe a pastor or a counselor or somebody who can help you take those next steps towards healing. Maybe you and I can be humble enough this Advent season to become less so that as we become the last, we may find more of God's grace and generous love each day. We you pray with me? God, we confess that life is unfair. And we often bemoan, how come you bless others and others get more and things go well for them? God, we often puff up our chests and try to be who we are not. We try to live like everything's great when it's not. God, we get mad because we feel cheated and wronged. Oh Lord, You have invited us to see that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That You who were first became nothing, that we could be something, Lord. God, this Advent season, would You help us to see those whom we can give generously to of our time, of our love, of our energy, of all of our emotion, and all of who we are. God, would we build others up knowing that You will always give more than we can give. That You will always do in us more than we can do for others. That You will always be enough when this world is not. God, this Advent season, may we become the least of these as we become honest with ourselves as we face our vulnerable, broken selves, as we admit our wrongdoing and we seek forgiveness, as we seek healing where we are hurting, God, would we find in You a peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that we are beginning the process of looking for a long-term home, a place we can call home uh, well beyond just a couple of years when our lease expires as rent continues to go up and up. Now this process of seeking a long-term home, it's not just about finances. It's actually so much more. It's about where God is inviting us to serve and to invest and to be a part of this community for a long time to come. Now, we would be greatly uh, in error if we took and focused all of our energy as a church on raising funds to find a home, and that was it. And so one of the ways that you can help us in the coming year uh, cultivate community, one of the ways that you can give of yourself to be a part of this process, beginning in January, if you guys would do me a favor right now, pull out your phones and open up your calendar... Beginning in January, I want you to put something on your calendar. All right, I see a few phones out and a few phones not. So I'll wait for the rest of you. On the second Tuesday of the month, which in January is January 9th, I believe. Let me double check. January 9th. If you will put right now in your calendar January 9th, from 6:30 to 7:30 we're going to begin a monthly night of prayer and praise. It's going to be much more acoustic in the tap room which if you've ever done anything acoustic up there sounds really really awesome and great. We're going to be gathering just to sing and to pray and to seek the Lord and say where do you want us in the coming season? And so as we cultivate community, one way you can give is when you set that in your calendar for January 9th, go ahead and mark recurring once a month and it'll automatically pull it in all year long for the second Tuesday every month. You can join us in this process of seeking a long-term home by committing to join us in the process of prayer. Because it's through seeking the Lord that we will find not only where He wants us to be, but who He wants us to serve, how He wants us to serve them, and it will be abundantly blessed. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to also collect an offering. If you came prepared to give today, or if you would like to make a special Cultivate Community financial gift to help us pursue where God is leading, you can do so with cash or check in the black boxes uh, as you exit right by the doors. If you filled out one of those uh, teal cards that says connect with a way we can pray for you or a way we can connect with you, you can place that in those boxes as well. And if you came prepared to give today, uh, but prefer to do so online, you can do so at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this, we don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. Blake informed me of a question that was not texted in but was clearly being asked, so I'll, I'll just share. Uh, when I just ditched back there for a moment, I was going to grab something that I forgot in my office. I was going to read to you, uh, but I'll read it to you next week. It was a thank you that came in this week that I think you want to hear, and then I realized that Michelle accidentally locked me out of my office. So Blake's question was, did you need to go pee that bad? No, that was not the case, so... Every question's a fair question in this place. Blake, what questions came in today? So what is the difference between hope and faith? Faith is believing what you cannot see, and I think hope is uh, trusting in what you don't yet have. Good. I can give more. Concise answer? Would you like more? You're not used to concise. I'll ask for more. You'll ask for more. I think faith is believing in promises that have been made that you don't always see, and even believing in a God we don't always see. In fact, there's often times when God feels distant, but we can believe he's not. But hope is clinging desperately with full confidence to a truth and a promise that you know is, even if it's not yet, such as we have the hope of the promise of the resurrection. We know that there will be a resurrection, but for now, we still miss those who've died. And so we cling with confidence to this promise. This is where faith and hope go really tightly together. Uh, As our faith increases, it's easier to be filled with greater hope. Uh, We've got one last question. Uh, Who can baptize a believer? Can another baptized child of God baptize another, especially during extenuating circumstances, such as a person on their deathbed? Or does it have to be a clergyman? Anyone can baptize anyone if you yourself have been baptized. Now generally, when possible for the sake of good order, uh, we encourage pastors to be the one doing the baptism, but it is not required, it is not uh, obligatory, and your baptism can be just as valid done on your uh, bedside as you're dying with a little bit of sprinkling of some water as it is if you're fully immersed in the Jordan River, it doesn't really matter. So if you're not yet in the place where it's an emergency and you're about to die, come talk to me. I would love to baptize you or whomever it is you would like to see baptized. And if you know somebody who's about to die who wants to be baptized and is not yet baptized, please go ahead and do that, all right? If you're like, how do I baptize somebody? It's really simple. Jesus gives us a formula in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's how you get baptized. That's it. That's also why we start our services with that at the beginning is to remind us that you and I are baptized. We are ones who have been washed clean by Christ, who are in Christ given a new life for all of time. So, yeah, if you need to baptize somebody, do it. If not, come talk to me. We've got two more comments that came through. One was faith is active, per your the first question. I think hope can be active too, but I see where I think you're going. Faith is active in that. Faith is not just an intellectual assent to things we know and believe in our mind. Faith is lived out in the way in which we organize our daily living uh, and the things we prioritize. But yeah, I... I yeah. And the last comment we had was, we need more uh, background Dale Sr. and Emily's announcements videos, please and thanks. Yes. In case you don't know this, Uh, Tyler loves NASCAR and Emily does not. So anytime you see anything NASCAR in the background at their apartment as she makes those videos, that would be Tyler subtly reminding her that he loves her, (laughs) and it's awesome. That's it. it. Awesome. Well, every week you can text in your questions, whatever they're about, and I'll do my best to respond. You can text them in during the week, and if I see them early enough, I'll respond online, and if not, I'll respond next week on Sunday, so you don't have to wait. Uh, for Sunday morning. If you have something that comes to you at three in the morning when you're awake, feel free to text it in. But as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.